Hello and welcome to the Minimum Competence episode for Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. I'm your host for today, Andrew Leahy, a tax and technology attorney from New Jersey. In today's episode, we have U.S. companies get a reprieve from the global minimum tax. Trump's lawyers back in court in Florida for the documents case. California hands out a big legal win to Uber drivers in Column Tuesday, where I reminisce about the good old days when we had state funding for the arts rather than strike-busting billionaires and apathetic at best politicians. Let's allow ourselves to bask in the glow of today's legal news. On this day in history, July 18, 1956, the Narcotic Control Act was passed. The Narcotic Control Act of 1956 and similar legislation have faced significant criticism for their punitive approach to drug offenses. Critics argue that this model of severe mandatory sentences, particularly for nonviolent drug offenses, exacerbates issues related to over-incarceration without effectively addressing the root causes of drug addiction and the societal harms associated with drug use. Instead, they posit that these resources would be better spent on prevention, education, and treatment initiatives to help curb substance misuse. Furthermore, some critics point to the social and racial disparities in the enforcement of these laws, with disproportionately high rates of incarceration for marginalized communities, which further perpetuate systemic inequalities. They also express concerns over the lack of flexibility in sentencing, asserting that the mandatory sentences can be overly harsh and fail to consider individual circumstances or the potential for rehabilitation. There is a growing consensus among critics that a public health approach, rather than a strictly punitive one, could lead to more beneficial outcomes in addressing the complex issues surrounding drug use and addiction. Owing to all of that, on this day in history, a better future was lost. Countries have agreed on a transitional safe harbor to temporarily safeguard U.S. companies' income from the 15% global minimum tax, or Pillar 2. This measure, effective until December 31st, 2026, may help reduce domestic political tension in the U.S. over the undertax profits rule. According to the UTPR, foreign governments could levy additional taxes on a U.S. multinational's income if it pays less than a 15% effective tax rate in the U.S. However, during the transition period, a company's parent jurisdiction will not face the UTR top-up tax if it maintains a corporate tax rate of at least 20%. While the solution provides immediate relief, it does not permanently address issues causing low U.S. income tax, such as R&D credits. The transitional period will allow the U.S. Congress to potentially respond to Pillar 2, including considering changes to the structure of tax credits or adopting a domestic top-up tax. Finally, the guidance indicated that the transition period would not be extended. Lawyers for former U.S. President Donald Trump will appear in a Florida court on Tuesday concerning charges of mishandling classified documents. Trump is charged with unlawfully retaining national defense documents after leaving office in 2021 and conspiring to obstruct government efforts to retrieve them. The hearing will consider the logistics of conducting a trial involving classified information without revealing top-secret data publicly. Trump's lawyers and prosecutors are expected to discuss deadlines for handing over classified documents that might be used as evidence. Trump has pleaded not guilty to the charges and claims that the preservation of presidential records allowed him to retain sensitive documents even after his term. He further claims to have declassified the documents before taking them. However, a taped conversation cited in the indictment contradicts this claim. If convicted, Trump could face a sentence of up to 20 years in prison under the Espionage Act. But let me just nip that fantasy talk in the bud right now. Trump will not be going to prison. The rich rarely do and the powerful never do. Uber Technologies, Inc. is required to face a California lawsuit claiming the company should have covered Uber Eats drivers' work-related expenses, according to a ruling from the state Supreme Court. This is a significant setback for Uber and potentially other similar companies operating in California. The lawsuit was initiated by Uber Eats driver Eric Adolph, who argued that the company misclassified Uber Eats drivers as independent contractors, thereby avoiding the need to reimburse work expenses as stipulated under California law for employees. Despite Adolf signing an agreement to bring his own legal claims in private arbitration, the court held that this didn't forfeit his right to sue on behalf of a larger group of workers. 
The decision could reduce the importance of a 2022 U.S. Supreme Court ruling that allowed companies to force individual claims into arbitration. Uber stated that it is considering its appellate options, while Adolf's representation suggested this may cause companies to rethink forcing workers' claims into arbitration if large-scale lawsuits can still proceed in court. Critics of mandatory arbitration argue it discourages workers from bringing small-sum individual claims and that arbitration disputes are more likely to favor employers. And oh look, it's Column Tuesday, and so soon after Monday. In this week's column, I criticize tax breaks provided by many U.S. states to big film studios and advocate for the direct funding of local arts instead. I argue that these incentives, while obviously hugely beneficial to the studios, don't significantly stimulate local economies or generate expected tax revenue. The top three states leading in production incentives are California, New York, and Georgia, with Georgia having provided $1.3 billion in tax incentives to studios last year alone. I suggest that the funds spent on these incentives could be better utilized in areas such as education or funding the arts they would purport to be intended for. I propose that funds be allocated directly to artists and creators, similar to the Federal Writers Project in the 1930s, instead of filtering through studios. Finally, I criticize the premise of these tax incentives, arguing that they are not based on economic viability, but are more likely a result of a mutual dependence between the states and Hollywood. Briefly, if you haven't heard of the Federal Writers Project, I invite you to look into it. It was a New Deal initiative active from 1935 to 1943 as part of the Works Progress Administration. It was aimed at supporting writers during and after the Great Depression. One of its most notable works was the creation of the American Guide series, which comprised guidebooks for each state. These books offered rich, detailed descriptions of each state's history, culture, and notable landmarks, providing an unprecedented panoramic view of the United States during a period where most Americans were unable to travel. They remain absolute gems and can be picked up on eBay or in used bookstores for a song. I especially recommend the New Jersey and New York editions for obvious regional bias reasons. And with that, I thank you so much for listening to Minimum Competence, your daily news podcast for lawyers. If you're looking for more than Minimum Competence, links to further reading on all the topics touched on today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or story suggestions, you can find us on Mastodon on the ESQ.social instance. I'm at Andrew and my co-host Gina is at Gina. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and do not represent those of any organization we may be affiliated with. Nothing here should be construed as legal advice because it is not legal advice. Reviews go a long way towards helping new listeners to find our show. If you have a moment and can leave a rating or review on your podcast player, we'd appreciate it. And if you know someone that might be interested in a story we cover, consider sending them the episode. Minimum Competence is available at minimumcomp.com and wherever you get your finely crafted podcast. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And until then, remember... Inchworms are neither worms nor an inch long. Everything you think you know is wrong, and the world is a confusing place. <laughs>